If you're a guest with us today, we're glad that you're here. We're going to open the Word of God together. The Bible is our rule for life. It's how we live. We love the Bible because it's the Word of God. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians. We're doing a series right now looking at uh, the mission of God and what He's about because times are weird right now in life. <laughs> and uh, so we are trusting the Lord, but we want to know what is He doing and what are we supposed to do with Him? And so we're looking in the book of Ephesians and we're going through that book to see uh, this is written by Paul, the apostle. What did the apostle Paul tell the, to the church in Ephesus? Today we're going to do kind of a little Bible study together and jump around. We're going to read a little chunk of scripture that's a little bit longer than I would normally read, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me, uh, just because I know sometimes uh, when we're reading and listening to things read, our minds can tend to wander a little bit, so stay focused. Don't start thinking about lunch. It's, it's ways off. We, we're good. Now that I mentioned it, you're going to think about it. Ah, uh, There are Bibles in the back table if you don't have one. And so let's look in the book of Ephesians together. We're going to read in Ephesians 1, starting at verse 11. Ephesians 1, starting at verse 11. Paul is encouraging the church, and he is telling them about the mystery of God's will and the beauty of uh, the gospel in Christ Jesus and the great things that God has done for the people. And in verse 11, he's talking about Christ, and he says this, In him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason... I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, and I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Praise the Lord for his word. Isn't it beautiful? Man, it's, Paul writes like one giant sentence in the Greek. And I keep waiting for the breaks there. It's, but he's just, can you, can you get the sense of him just pouring out his heart to the church, reminding them of all the things that God has done? We're going to break this down a little bit so we can actually understand it. Um, we could do, you know, whole series and lessons just on these verses. So we're going to go a little bit fast. Um, if you don't, if I say something that you're like, wait, I'm confused, then please, by all means, you can email me or call me, and I would love to get time with you, and let's get a coffee so we can really go through it. I'm saying that because this is so packed with a lot of theological things that to actually just in 30, 40, 50 minutes, two hours, whatever we're going to be preaching right now, um, to unpack all the things that Paul is saying is so much. So there's going to be parts we're going to kind of gloss over, but if you're like, hey, I'm confused by this word, I would love to do a Zoom with 
with you if you're social distancing, or I would love to get a coffee with you, or we can sit out here where we can be 12 feet apart if you want, whatever, and go through all these things. But Paul is explaining to the church this mystery of the beauty of Christ Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And he brings up three things. In verse 18, he gives two of them, and then one in 19. And he says, I want you to understand the hope to which you have been called, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. Those are awesome phrases, aren't they? They're incredible things. We're going to look at what those are a little bit as we go. But in order to understand those, we have to understand what's happening in Ephesus. What's the actual context here? So if you'll bear with me and turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at the account, the historical account, of Paul in Ephesus and what's happening there so that we can get an idea of actually what's happening in the city. Um, Exodus, or excuse me, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, that, that area. So across from Greece is Turkey, if you will. And um, Ephesus was a major city that was there. It was also the head of the um, temple and, and clan, if you will, of Artemis, which was a, a deity that they served. Um, and so Ephesus was a very important place, not only for commerce and in the empire, in the Roman Empire at the time, not only was it strategically located in a very important part of the world, but it was also spiritually important because a lot of people would make pilgrimages there and come to the big temples that were there, and there were a lot of things that were happening and a lot of spiritual warfare and spiritual things that took place in Ephesus that confused the people. We're going to look in Acts chapter 19 of what's happening here, and we're going to see one of those accounts because I want you to get the idea of what's happening there. And then I'm going to tell you some fun army stories and we'll, exp we'll expand more about these things. Acts chapter 19, uh, we're going to read a little bit here. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Remember John the Baptist who came before Christ? What was he yelling in the desert? Do you remember? Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Christ comes. He even baptizes Jesus. When he baptizes Jesus, the spirit like a dove descends on heaven. And everybody there can hear the, the voice of God saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And Paul, or excuse me, John even says at this time, this is the Christ. This is the king who's coming. This is him. It's Jesus. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals for him. Listen to him. He has the words of life. And so what does Jesus talk about? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't believe in me, then you can't come to the Father. If you don't know a relationship with me, because he's God, he's also going to be our sacrificial lamb. He's also the one who, by his death and resurrection, will make a way for us to know mercy on the wrath for our sin and be saved and actually know Christ and know God. He's the only way. And that's what John is saying. And so these guys, these disciples, they've heard about John's baptism, and they're so excited to walk in God's way that they've been baptized into repentance, but they don't fully know what's going on yet. They've heard about Jesus. They're already disciples, but they don't know everything that's going on. That's the context that we have. Verse 4, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, 
they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Why is this significant? It's significant because of where he is. The Holy Spirit has already come. He's come at Pentecost. He's come on the people in Acts chapter 2. And so the disciples who are, are in Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast have received the Holy Spirit. They are walking in in power and all that God's doing. The people are demonstrating the love of the kingdom. It's incredible. But now Paul has gone to Turkey. He's far away from the center of where these things have happened. And so we have like a little mini Pentecost here where the Holy Spirit comes on these men as a sign. You ready for this? That God is after all people, not just the people who are in Jerusalem. Everyone who believes in Jesus is brought into the family of God and engrafted into the heritage of faith, and the Holy Spirit, with demonstration of power, indwells them, and they start speaking in tongues. That's a whole other lesson. But something big happens, and it's this outpouring of devotion and life, and it's literally coming out of their mouths. They cannot contain God's presence in them, and they're not Jews. That's striking, because Paul is coming. That's very important. When he laid his hands on them, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Verse 7, there were about 12 men in all. And he entered, that's Paul, the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that's the Christians and Christianity, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It's a big ministry. A lot happening here. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them when they were touched to the people. Then some of the itinerant Jews Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastering all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's a that's a beatdown. <laughs> Stripped their clothes off of them, man. And this became known to all the residents of, residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell on them all. And also, the name of Jesus was extolled. That means glorified, held in reverence. Many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they, continue, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 50,000 pieces of silver. In modern money, uh, scholars have estimated that's worth $6 million. So the people who are practicing these magic arts come $6 million worth of their stuff. They're throwing in the fire. Why are, they, why are they burning it? Why don't they hold on to it? Because they found a better way. Because they were trying to find power in other places. And instead, now at the name of Jesus, demons are coming out. People are being healed. Even handkerchiefs are healing people. Even people who don't belong to Christ 
are using the name of Jesus and mighty things are happening until they're called out by one of them that's going to beat them down. How terrifying is that? And all this is happening in the center of pagan religious worship in all of Asia. This is the place. If you want to go and get on the right side, you can make your pilgrimage to Rome. You can make some pilgrimages to Athens or certain areas in Greece. But if you want to go to the big temples, go to Ephesus. That's where you can meet the idol makers themselves. And there's going to be other stories about that that we'll, that we'll read in later times. But there are, Paul is disrupting a big business here because this is, this is the economy of the city, is idol worship. And it's overnight, six million in revenue is not transferred, is not sold, is burned because they found the real source of power. That's incredible. And now Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's telling them about the mysteries of all the things that God has done. And he's reminding them that God in his sovereign will chose them, that the Lord predestined them, that he is the one who reached out and grabbed them out of all that idolatry and drunk and not just backsliddenness, but total rebellion to God. That he saved them through the blood of Jesus. That it's only through Jesus Christ do we have access to the Father. That only by Christ can we know peace with God. That only by him does your life have value and meaning. And all the powerful things that you're trying to do on your own is worthless. It should just be taken away. And it's going to be burned with fire because when Jesus comes, that's what he's about. He's about pure worship of himself. And he's reminding them not only of those things, but also the great inheritance they have, that God didn't just save them. He didn't just rescue them out of the wrath of God, but he also put his very spirit on them and filled them with power and made them his ambassadors that they could be fully image bearers again to be all the things that God had called them to do. And there's this wonderful mission that they have that all of Asia in two years has heard the word of God and is honoring the name of Jesus. That's incredible. The heritage of faith, the heritage of life, the, what they've seen is so amazing. And as they are experiencing those things, they're remembering and solidifying in their minds, what is God about? What is he doing? What am I supposed to do now? Because isn't it so true that we can think back on these great, grand, exciting times where big things happened in our lives and we were so fervent in our love for God and our relationship with him, and then time drags on, doesn't it? Then opposition comes, then difficulty comes, and you've got to still pay the bills. You've still got to raise the kids. You've still got to go to work. You've still got to figure out life. And all of a sudden, things get mundane and not bright and shiny and beautiful anymore in our walk with God. When I was, uh, when I was in the military, I was a military police officer, and um, we, I had just gotten back from Iraq, and my unit was a combat military police unit, which means we do stuff around the world. And when we came back to Fort Polk in Louisiana, where we were stationed, my unit of 600 guys, um, I was in charge of about 45 of them. Uh, I was second in command of this company, and so we had about 170 soldiers. And our, our unit's mission became police the base. So the base had about 30,000 people living on it. We had our own hospital, and we were the police force. And so at that time, because we had just gotten back from the deployment, there were guys that were hurt or sick or had other assignments waiting for them, and they had transferred out of our unit and all this stuff. And so all of a sudden, we were super short on people. So we went from deployed for a whole year to 16-hour shifts six days a week to, co to cover the road because we couldn't do the police mission. So we were, like when I say police, we were driving around in Chevy Impalas with the lights and it said police on them and 
We were the police. That was what we did. So I had honestly very little police training. I probably shouldn't say this in a recorded fashion, but um, I had done a lot of things in the police realm, but I was never, I had never received like big police training to be a police officer. Um, I had received a lot of stuff, but I didn't feel super qualified. And one day, um, because I was a leader in the unit, I got, I got pegged to be the duty officer. So somebody had to be the duty officer, which basically meant you get the night shift. It's pretty much what it came down to. So I was the night guy. So I had worked all day, still got to work tomorrow, but I get to be on duty all night. This is going to be fantastic. So at 4 o'clock, I'm supposed to go in and get a briefing from the desk, like the main police station, on the things that are going on, and then I come on duty at like 5. That's, my, that's the deal. So I check out a police car and all this kind of stuff, and that's what I'm supposed to do. So I walk down to the main police headquarters, and I'm getting the briefing of the day, and I'm you know, getting the police car stuff and signing all the papers i got to sign. And all of a sudden, this call comes over the radio that there is a, a problem off the post, and the police are responding, and they need a representative for us now, and it's some high-ranking person. And there's a, there's a big problem, a violent problem. And uh, the guy behind the desk looked at me, and he goes, sir, you got to go now. Right now. you got to go now. And I looked at him. I was like, I don't have, I don't, I'm not even in my full uniform right now. He goes, I don't, you got to go right now. And so he took the keys off the table, he threw them to me, and he goes, drive, drive as fast as you can. I will text you the address. It's you know, down by this restaurant that's in, off post. Go now. And so I jumped in the car. Um, I had no license to drive the car. I'd never driven a police car. I did not know how the siren worked. So I jump in the car. I'm trying to figure out the siren. And I called my armor of my unit. And I said, dude, give me my holster and my weapon now. And he's like, roger that. And so I screeched up tires to, the, to my office. He came running out, loaded a weapon, and handed it to me through the window. And I set it on the seat. And I, as I'm driving 100 miles an hour, figured out how to work the siren so I could get people out of the way. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> it was scary. It was awesome. And everything turned out OK, and we were going. Sometimes in Christian life, we feel totally unprepared for what God thrusts us into. And the spirit of God is so powerful. Could you imagine being these 12 guys? Who do you think is leading the church in Ephesus? Paul shows up. He says, hey, are there Christians here? And 12 guys, 12, say, yeah, yeah, we've heard of Jesus. He goes, really, tell me about that. And he says, well, John, we heard about John's baptism for repentance and this guy Jesus. And so we believed and got baptized. He said, oh, oh, good, that's great. You're, you're partway there. Let me fill out your understanding. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? Nope. Okay. Uh, John preached repentance. I'm going to bring you into the family. Okay, what do we do? I'm going to baptize you again. Great! So they get baptized. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is rushing on these 12 guys. They are speaking in tongues. They are prophesying. They are filled with life. And then for a couple months, they go into the synagogue with Paul to talk about Jesus. And they, pro I mean, they probably just went everywhere he went. And people are believing. Who do you think is carrying these handkerchiefs? It's, it's these guys, these 12 guys and their families. And take that, take that to the sick guy. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And they just take the handkerchief. And all of a sudden, people are healed. Demons are coming out. So much so that the ruling Jewish authorities are vilifying them and kick them out of the synagogue, basically. 
But then, secretly, they start going places like, uh, in, the name of, <clears throat> in the name of Jesus. Secretly, because they want anybody to know. Until one of those demons goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who are you? You don't belong in the family. I know who Paul is. Even handkerchiefs are casting out demons. But these guys, seven of them, overpowered by an evil spirit. What is God doing? And in within two years, all of Asia has heard the gospel. Now, at the time, we think Asia is all of Asia. It'd be like all of Missouri, all of Missouri, hearing the gospel in two years. Who do you think is leading those churches? How much training did they get? They got a baptism. They got two months. They got a handkerchief. <laughs> You're up. And you know what? The Spirit of God is like that sometimes, isn't it? And then Paul, now, as he's talking to the church and encouraging them, you know, sometimes in life you look back and you see the hand of God so clearly. But while you were in the midst of it, you're like, Lord, what are you doing? Where are we going? What's happening? What are you doing to me? Why did you do it this way? I just wanted a new Ford. That's all I wanted. And instead, God's got you talking to people, and he's, he's forcing you to reconcile with family members. He's throwing you at bosses who need him that you can be light to them. Why do you choose me to do that? Why am I always the one, always, who gets the weird friend? Always. The weird, needy friend who's going to come and just be a basket case. Just once, can't I have like a cardinal player friend? Wouldn't that be awesome? Just once, can't my family not be the messed up family? Can't we just be the family who's like, wow, you guys got it all figured out. I want to be that family. And what does God do? He thrusts us into positions where you got to be the one. I got to be the one to talk to my family member about this. Christmas is going to be awkward. But that's what God does, doesn't he? And he strengthens you. And guess what? You're the awkward friend sometimes. We all get to be that role, don't we? We all get to be the one who sometimes is strong and sometimes is weak. We all get to be the one who's knit in the body because God called the body of people. He didn't just call us individually. It's not just me and Jesus. It's us knowing him, walking with him, striving to be close to him. And guess what? Paul tells us that by his own predestination, by his will, from before time, God brought us into himself and made us his and filled us with power and filled us with a mission what does he tell us? He tells us, remember the hope to which you were called. Do you know what the hope is? The hope is as he rose to life, as he died for me but rose again, the Lord Jesus who is God forever, he is the down payment that I will live forever. That I am not just secure, not just that my sins are forgiven, but that I can actually know him and embrace him. And I have hope in this life because I see him ruling and reigning. And I know in every situation, no matter what happens, he is in charge. Because if he chose me from the foundation of the earth, then everywhere I place my step, everywhere I go, I say, Lord, you're in charge. Lord, you're in charge. I know you. I see you. I see what you're doing. I trust you. I have hope that this situation is going to come out for your glory and for my betterment. And my betterment is not just the forward, although that's awesome. It's not just the Ford. The betterment is, I'm going to look like you. I'm going to serve you. I want, I want my handkerchief to, to cast out demons. Not because people go, wow, look at this gross handkerchief. It's Stevens. Not because of that, but because it means that all of Missouri knows your name. 
It means that everywhere I go, I'm so close to you, I'm so filled with you that even my boogers are filled with your power. <laughs> and aprons. You know what Paul's doing? He's working. He's got aprons. He's doing work. He's living life. He's actually just being himself. And somebody takes an apron and puts it on somebody sick and they get healed. It blows your mind. Why does it blow your mind? Because the name of Jesus gets glorified, not Paul. Because everybody around goes, what is happening? Because this is the place where for years and years and generations, they've come to the same old pagan temple to cry out for Artemis to make a difference. And Jesus is the one, and he's not even there. There's no idol of him. There's no temple for him. Because God chose a people who would be his temple. He indwelled a people by his Holy Spirit. He made them prophetic to speak his word. Out of their mouths uttered tongues like fire. Everywhere they went, they demonstrated the love of God. Everywhere they went, they said what right was right. Everywhere they went, they told the truth. They didn't mince words. So much so that the sorcerers who made a living on the junk that they were selling came and burned $6 million worth. This is a people who are making enemies, who are proclaiming the word, but they're seeing Christ glorified. And at the end of the story here, we see it's not just Paul. We don't even know the 12 guys' names. You know, they don't even get mentioned. Not even mentioned in the history books. But thank God they were faithful. Thank God they held on. Thank God they preached the gospel. Thank God they knew his power. Thank God that he filled them. Thank God that he chose them. Thank God that he chose us. He filled us. He's using us. And we're in the very same heritage because this is what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom is not just blessing. That's ethereal. Oh, just happiness. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is Jesus glorified. The kingdom is everywhere looking like him. The kingdom is he who fills the fullness of all things. It glorified everywhere we go. Second thing that Paul says is that we would know the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What is his inheritance? The riches of his glorious inheritance. In verse 18. You know the inheritance of Christ? There's two things he gets to inherit. Well, Christ himself is going to inherit two things. He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity forever, right? He made the earth. He's part of the Godhead, too. And Paul says that in an interesting way here because he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And there's this interplay sometimes in the Trinity. This would be a good thing for coffee that we can talk about because it's, um, it's mysterious. But even in that, Christ, who's the second person of the Trinity, loves the Father and is seated at his right hand. And he's going to have two things as an inheritance. One is his people, the bride. There will be, we come to the communion table every week to remember what Christ did, but also to proclaim not just his death until he comes, but also there will be a marriage supper someday when he returns and he receives his bride without spot and blemish because he's done a great work in us and we have participated with him in his mission. And when he comes, the second part of the inheritance, he will receive everything because the Father's already given him every nation of the earth that the earth is the footstool for his feet. Everything belongs to him. And when he returns, he will return to a new Garden of Eden 
that is his, not a place that's filled with corruption and brokenness. Why? Because he has a people. He has a temple. He has agents of restoration. He has ambassadors who he's filled with himself, that they think like him, they look like him, they smell like him. Everywhere they go, they bring offerings that are his. They glorify him everywhere. They speak the truth. Even their boogers can heal people. There's nothing special about boogers. <laughs> nothing. They're super gross. We should get rid of them. Don't start throwing your handkerchief at people, especially in coronavirus. It will not go well. It will not go well. But what is happening here? It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. It's come. It looks like this, not like that junk temple. It looks like being the temple, filled with him, not coming to an idol that does nothing and can't hear your prayers. I can prove it to you. And Paul does it with reason and with, with discussion and with two years of training the people. And then as a bonus, as a bonus, the boogers do things. And what really brings the fear of God to the people? It's the seven sons of Sceva who don't even believe, who try to use God's name like a parlor trick to make themselves look good and get totally beat down. And then the people are terrified because that's what you do with the idol. It's a parlor trick. This idol will give me prosperity today. Nope, not you, this one. This idol will give us rain. Let's pray to it. Parlor tricks. It's the books that they burned were parlor tricks. They tried to impress people, did nothing. But Jesus, not only is his name powerful, but also if you don't actually belong to him, those guys were naked. I mean, they went in. They're sons of the high priest. These guys are a big deal. And they got totally humiliated because they did not belong. That's incredible. And that fear grips the people. Who, who is this God? He's alive. Even the other deities, the other demons, the other things that we're afraid of, they respond to him. But if you don't belong to him, don't pretend. It will not go well. That's, that's a big deal. That's the kingdom. You know, it has not changed. Um, last time I was in Africa, we were, we were teaching in our school that we have there. Some of the elders, this was 2016, I guess. Something like that. And, um, and one night I was sleeping really rough and I woke up and I remember looking at the clock and it was like two in the morning and I was, um, I was having just terrible dreams, violent, weird dreams, like over the top. You know, sometimes you have a weird dream, like you're falling and you wake up or something. Um, this was just, it was, it was over the top. It was weird. And I was on a preventative malaria medicine. And so I was like, man, these pills are kicking my butt. I don't know what's going on with those things. So I went back to sleep. About 30 minutes later, I woke up and I looked at the clock again. It had been about 30 minutes. And just these dreams are just coming and they're very strange and they're really realistic and they're just over the top. And um, things, you know, harm coming to my family and just weird things. And so I, I felt like, wow, this is weird. When, you know, these pills, they, they should put a warning on the label. You know, they said it can be weird for you, but, I, you know, something. Went back to sleep. 30 minutes later, I woke up. And suddenly I realized there's a demon in the room. There's a demonic presence that's here. And I'm telling you, I knew, I knew it. And once I realized it, it was like, oh, oh, and a little bit of fear, because that's a weird situation, right? And um, I realized that this is not from God. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, demon, you will get out of here right now. 
And then you know what I did is I just started telling the gospel. I started with uh, the beginning. I said the Lord created the earth. Man fell and rebelled against him. The Lord demonstrated what his power and his judgment looks like by Noah and the flood. But God called the people. He saved and preserved Noah. He called Abraham. He brought his people to bear. He showed us what his kingdom would look like through David. He brought the people out of slavery with Moses. He gave us his law. He showed us all those things. And we still failed, but he sent Jesus. And Jesus Christ, who is God forever, came. He came as a baby, and he grew up, and he lived perfectly and never sinned. And he died as the innocent offering for us. So that my sin was put on him and the record of my debt is nailed to that cross when he died. But when he rose to life, I rose with him. And I'm not the same that I used to be. I belong to Jesus now. And all of us who are in the bride are filled with his power. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are his. And in the name of Jesus, get out. And so now it was like five in the morning. And so I'm looking around and I'm yelling in my room, which is probably not the best. And I, uh, it was four in the morning, sorry, because it was still dark. And I got my little, I had a little flashlight so I could watch where the bugs and stuff are. It was Africa. And, um, and I half expected to see something in the room. And I looked around, there was nothing. And I said, Lord, why did you do that? And he said, tell the brothers about it. So that morning I said, hey, we're going to change our lesson plan. Uh, here's what happened to me last night. What do you do when a demon confronts you? Let's talk about that. Just tell them the gospel. So this is the answer, by the way. If you're ever in that situation, you tell them the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. At the name of Jesus, the demons will flee. But if you want to get built up and be strong, just remind yourself of the gospel. Tell them the gospel. They cannot. What can they do? They can't. They're fighting him. They're not fighting you. They will flee. They have no power over you if you're in Christ Jesus. So just tell them the gospel. If you're ever in a situation where somebody says, I think my friend has a demon, can you cast him out? Just tell them the gospel. Get that person saved. The demon will flee. They're going to they're gonna go away. They cannot stand in his power. So I'm telling this to the men, the brothers who are training to be pastors. Some of them are already pastors. And one guy, Nicholas, is obviously physically affected by this. I said, Nicholas, what's wrong? And he lifted up his pant leg, and he has a scar of a hand around his leg, like a burn. He said, when I was a boy, I was five, and I was sleeping in my hut with my, my family. They live out in the bush. And a witch doctor came and grabbed me while I was sleeping and drug me outside. And I, couldn't, I was paralyzed. I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. I was terrified. And my dad woke up somehow and saw what was happening, ran out and tackled the man. And he uh, ran off, and he was, he was using demons to heal people. And he was the witch doctor. That's what they do. And uh, my leg was burned by his hand. And to this day, I have the scar. And I don't, I don't know what to do. So when somebody says, what do I do? There's a demon. I am so terrified. I don't know what to do. So I said, well, Lord allowed this to happen so we can talk about it. And they're walking through what victory looks like, walking through what the kingdom looks like. You know, a lot of our world is oppressed. Demons in America, they don't look like witch doctors. They look like success. Fake it out. You know, there's a lot of spiritual things here, too. It doesn't just have to be in Ephesus where the big temples are. You know, we have temples here in our city. The name of Jesus is not honored in our city like it is here. We have a lot of work to do. But this great inheritance that we have in the saints, not only do we have hope that he himself who called us is faithful, that as he rose, we'll rise, 
but we also have the beauty of an inheritance that he himself is our inheritance, that we'll be close to him and we'll know him. And as he receives the whole world, guess what? We get to rule with him. We're like those 12 who are filled with the Spirit and see the power of God. And then what happens? Immediately the Spirit says, all right, lead the church as people are getting saved. Because those 12 know more than anybody else. Maybe it's one day more, but that's all they know. But God uses them anyway. And that's what the Lord does with us. As he takes, this is his world. It's his church. It's his ground. It's his Highway 40. It's his St. Louis. It's his Missouri. You are his family. Your families, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, everybody already belongs to him. And if they are suppressing the truth and saying, I will not bow the knee to God, they are already his. They are beholden to him. We need to tell them the truth. We need to see them brought in the fold. We need to to work and, and trust God that everything we do will bring glory to him because it's his already. The last thing that Paul tells us is that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. His power toward us is immeasurably more, immeasurably more than those temples, than the idols, than the demons, than the situations, than the hurt, immeasurably more than the bad experiences, than the bad memories, than the disqualifying things that you know in your mind and your heart say, I can't do any of those things because if you knew, I'm disqualified. No, you're not. Because the Spirit of Christ has qualified you. It's not your righteousness, it's His. It's not your calling, it's His. You're not speaking your word, you're speaking His. That's the kingdom way. It's not His blessing, it's, it's not your blessing, it's His. Everything we do is, this is why we tithe. Lord, we say, everything I have, it's by your hand. So I demonstrate it with my act of obedience because I, I see it's, this is yours. But you know what? It's a challenge to say, Lord, my time is yours. Lord, my walk is yours. Lord, my speech is yours. Lord, my devotion is yours. Lord, I want to be a better student of the word of God than I am a student of comic books. I want to know more about your story and how you saved the world than being able to rattle off everything about Batman or Superman or Spider-Man or whoever. And we know those things, don't we? Why do we know those stories so well? But sometimes we can't ever find a place in the Bible. It's because it's easy to get distracted by all the other stuff. But the truth is, he has immeasurable, immeasurable love and grace and power toward us who believe. He's proven this. By his resurrection. What is God doing? Ephesians 1 verse 9 says this. He lavished all this upon us, making his wisdom and insight know, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. What is his will? It's a plan for the fullness of all time. Here's the, here's the plan. Here's the will. Ready? To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That's what he's doing. It's in his inheritance, and he will have it all. That's what that means. Everything belongs to him. Everything will work for him. Everything will glorify him. It's his. Then Paul tells us that we would know in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might with uh, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above 
all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, no idol, no president, no government, no nothing is greater than the name of Jesus. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If the mission is that all things would be united in him, things in heaven, things on earth, the means of doing that is his body, us, the people of God, his temple, the bride, the church, those who belong to Jesus, who are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Because everywhere you go, your footsteps and you demonstrate the kingdom of God because you are his. You're the solution. You're the answer. What is God about? He's building his church. He's building his people. He's changing lives. What does that mean? It means demons kicked out. It means people healed. More than that, it means salvation. It means changed lives. It means $6 million worth of magic junk thrown in the fire because we found Jesus and he's the truth. That's the destiny for St. Louis, Missouri. That's the destiny. That everything else that we thought Man, life, I have life in this Apple Watch. This is everything to me. And said, Lord, I put it at your feet because you're greater than the internet. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But, man, if we believed it, if we believed it, and he's using us, you're the plan. You are, there's no plan B, understand. We're all waiting for the magic revival. When suddenly something happens and it's big, do you know how the revival happens? It happens by faithful people proclaiming the word of God. And it's not the magic revival. It's the people of God who are faithful, who stand up and say the word, and even their boogers have power. Your boogers have power. I'm telling you right now. They do. And again, boogers are not special. That's a funny word, isn't it? They're not special, but they have power. Why do they have power? Because you belong to him. Every part of you belongs to him. You are his. And if God wants to use a handkerchief, he'll use it. But he'd rather use your words. He'd rather use you. That's why he keeps sticking you with that difficult boss. That's why he keeps putting you in those weird places. That's why you keep butting up against your family all the time. And you're saying, Lord, make it stop. And the Holy Spirit's saying, let's go faster. We'll do more. You want to do, oh, stop? Well, let's throw another family member in. Why? Because that's what he's about. He's about filling all things and using his people. It's his kingdom. It's ever, it's ever growing. You know, he's already in charge. He's already inheriting all of it. The kingdom's secure. He's already ruling. Nothing happens without his say-so. And yet in life, we get to participate with him and work hard and see all the great things that he's doing because he is using us. And it's exciting. Be excited. If you get two things out of today, get this. One, God loves you and called you. He is a measurable Riches of power for you, for you if you believe in him, because of the gospel. And secondly, God is using you for his kingdom expansion. Be who you are called to be. Embrace it. Say, Lord, I trust you. Show me what to do. And then next time you talk to that boss or that family member, just open your mouth and say, I'm just going to have to tell you what the Bible says. And they might slap you in the face. Or they might say, I never want to talk to you again. Or they might unfriend you on Facebook or whatever. Or they might say, why haven't you told me this yet? Let's see what God does. Today's the day of salvation. Amen?
I remember the very first time I, uh, I took a loaded weapon with me on a military thing. Uh, we were on a, on a training mission, actually. This was well before I did that police thing I told you about. And um, I've been to the range a lot. You know, I grew up shooting guns and stuff. I hope that doesn't, doesn't offend anybody, but I did. And um, then the military, of course, that's, we do that a lot. Um, but you don't often like, just go places with like, loaded guns. That doesn't, that's not normal. Everything's very controlled. So the first time I went on a live fire exercise, uh, we loaded up and, and jumped in the truck and like, let's roll. And so we start driving and we had automatic grenade launchers on top of our trucks. And so we had a lot of grenades and then we're just rolling out. And I remember looking at my rifle and I, it's loaded and ready to go. And I remember looking at it like, what am I doing right now? Because we're, I mean, we're just driving in a truck, but I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to go. This is a weird, it was a weird feeling because doing that on the range is one thing. Right? Saying the name of Jesus in church is one thing. And now you're driving down the road. And then that truck stopped. And all of a sudden, targets started popping up. And the way the military did it, we had these big, we had tanks on a ridgeline, old Russian tanks on a ridgeline, and pop-up targets of different things that would pop up. And so we were being engaged in this training exercise by these targets while the grenades had to shoot the tanks. That was the, that was the exercise. And so we're a couple of miles into this thing, and all of a sudden, here we are. I'll tell you what, in the din of hearing the explosions around you, you stop thinking about the equipment you have, and you just be who you are. God has equipped you. If this sounds too militant to you, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. If it sounds too militant to, the, to you, I'm going to tell you, you are conscripted. You belong to him. The earth is his. He is using you. He has loaded you up already with power and ammunition in himself that looks like love. It looks like righteousness. It looks like peace. It looks like joy. It looks like your testimony. It looks like your knowledge of the word. And if you only have one day like those 12 guys, I've done one thing, then trust the power of the Holy Spirit. He can even use your boogers. That's his ammunition. And say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to do something for you today. Use me. And let's see what he does. And I guarantee you, it will be exciting. And you will look down and be like, what happened? And then all of a sudden, you're in the middle of it. And you're just who you are. And God's using you. It's good. It's good. It's really good. Because it's what you were designed for. If we're not doing those things, if we're not making disciples, if we're not proclaiming the word of God, I'm telling you right now, you are trying to fight against your nature. It's what you're designed for. It's why you feel unhappy. We've got to do something for Jesus. Amen?